Good morning, and thanks for joining me for Rise and Crime, your morning caffeine hit all about crime. Today, let's start off with the sentencing hearing in the Lori Vallow Daybell murder conviction. Now, Lori is the religious zealot or cult mom that was convicted of killing her two children, 16-year-old Tylee Ryan and 7-year-old J.J. Vallow. She was also found guilty of conspiracy to commit murder for the death of her fifth husband's former wife, Tammy Daybell. Okay, so there's three murders. Now, if there's any listener that's here with us today that doesn't know this story, okay, stop here. Go back and listen to the May 15th episode of Rise and Crime to get caught up on the twists and turns that just pepper this case. It is really complicated. So I'm going to give a short, brief timeline here, but if you really want details, go back. All right, here's the timeline. In January of 2019, Lori Vallow becomes entangled with Chad Daybell in a religious cult. And I'm going to call it a cult. Some might not think it's a cult, but if you're deciding who should live and who should die based upon your predetermined darkness scale, for me, you're definitely swimming in the deep end of the cult pool. So Chad and Lori were participating in like group sessions or podcasts or internal planning meetings all about this new religion that had Lori and Chad believing they would be ushering in the end of times and also a biblical apocalypse. They were also labeling people as zombies when they failed to present enough spirituality. All right, so that was in January. By July of 2019, Lori's brother Alex kills her husband, Charles Vallow, claiming to protect Lori. Then by September, Lori's two children are missing and they're not touching base at all with family or letting anyone know what's going on. Then by October, Tammy Daybell dies in bed at the home she shares with Chad. Two weeks later, Chad and Lori are married in Hawaii. And by spring of 2020, police unearth Tylee and JJ's body in Chad's backyard. All right, you guys, that timeline right there, that's about 10% of the actual story. All right, anyway, Lori was already in jail for not producing the children alive to law enforcement. And Chad, well, he's arrested the day they find the bodies. And he's arrested basically because the bodies are buried in his backyard. They get him on those charges and then they add the other charges later. But all of this triggers for Tammy's body to be exhumed, and the state eventually charges both Lori and Chad with first-degree murder of Tammy, JJ, and Tylee. All right, three long years later, Lori was finally found guilty for first-degree murder for JJ and Tylee, and conspiracy to commit murder for JJ, Tylee, and Tammy. She was also found guilty of fraud for stealing Social Security funds meant for Tylee and JJ. And well, Chad, he's set to go to trial in 2024, so we're not really sure what's going to happen with him yet. All right, that was a lot. So let's get to the sentencing. On Monday, Judge Stephen Boyce sentenced Lori to life in prison without the possibility for parole for all five charges. He also sentenced her with five to 10 years in prison for the fraud conviction. Now, the bottom line is, Lori will remain incarcerated until she dies, unless some miracle happens on appeal. Now, one of the most jaw-dropping moments of the sentencing came when Lori was asked by Judge Boyce if she was willing to speak to the court. 
she agreed. And I'm going to tell you, there was a lot of differing opinions on this one. A lot of people thought she would, a lot of people thought she wouldn't. So we were kind of on pins and needles wondering, is she going to? Well, she agreed and she did speak. And for many people, this was the first time that they had ever heard Lori speak in person. See, there were jailhouse recorded phone calls that had been shared during the trial, but this was going to be different. It was Lori's chance to say what she was feeling, possibly to say sorry for the crimes, or maybe even try to heal some wounds that were created with her family. Now, I'm going to play all eight minutes of her testimony, and that seems like a lot, but you're going to want to hear all eight minutes. And I'm only playing it because it's either so manipulative or so wackadoodle. And I'll let you just make that call after you listen to it. I would like to start by quoting John from the New Testament in the Bible. In John chapter 8, verse 7, Jesus says, He that is without sin among you, let him cast first cast a stone at her. Then in first, verse 15, Jesus says, Ye judge after the flesh, I judge no man. And yet if I judge, my judgment is true. Jesus knows me. And Jesus understands me. I mourn with all of you who mourn my children and Tammy. Jesus Christ knows the truth of what happened here. Jesus Christ knows that no one was murdered in this case. Accidental deaths happen. Suicides happen. Fatal side effects from medications happen. I have a different perspective in life because in 2002, when I was pregnant with Tylee, I died in the hospital while in labor with her. They tried to stop my labor. They put me on the table and they put something in my IV and I felt my spirit falling to the floor. I was standing near my pregnant body watching the doctors try to revive me, which took them a few minutes. In that time, my sister Stacy was standing to my left. I turned to hug her and was surprised that her spirit was as tangible as a physical body because I knew I was in spirit and she was in spirit. She said she needed to show me some things and we went to heaven. I later returned to my body. Because of this experience, I have access to heaven and the spirit world. Since then, I have had many communications from people now living in heaven, including my children, Tylee Ashlyn, and Joshua Jackson, my sisters, Stacy and Lolly, my aunts and my uncles, and my grandparents. I have had many communications with Jesus Christ, the Savior of this world, and our heavenly parents. I have had many angelic visitors have come and communicated with me and even manifested themselves to me. Because of these communications, I know for a fact that my children are happy and busy in the spirit world. Because of my communications with my friend Tammy Daybell, I know that she is also very happy and extremely busy. 
I have always mourned the loss of my loved ones, and I have lost many in this mortal world. However, I know them more than most people. I know where they are now and what they're doing. I know how wonderful heaven is, and I'm homesick for it every single day. I know we all lived in heaven before we were born on earth, and we were all adult spirits in the heavenly realm. We chose to come to earth as mortals. Heaven is more wonderful than you can possibly imagine. I do not fear death, but I look forward to it. I, do not, I did not want to return to my body when I was out of it. Even though my son Colby, who I adored more than anything, was only six years old at the time, and I was about to give birth to this new baby girl that I wanted so badly. I was a young mother, and you would think I wouldn't want to leave my children, but as I stood in heaven, I did not want to go back. I thought they would be fine without me because I was peaceful, and I was happy, and I was home. But then I was told by Jesus that I needed to go back and complete things that I had covenanted or promised to do before I was born. This caused me a lot of distress because I knew heaven was my real home and I only wanted to be there. I was free from pain, emotional and physical. But then I was shown how I would help my children and others in the future. So ultimately I did agree to go back to my body. Kylie has visited me. She is happy and very busy. Kylie is free now from all the pains of her life. Kylie suffered horrible physical pain her whole life. I sat with Kylie in the hospital year after year after year while she screamed in pain when the morphine wasn't even enough to take away the pain of her pancreatitis. I sat there while she cried and I held back her hair while she threw up. And I am the only person on this earth who knows how much Tylee suffered in her life. She had pain every single day. She never felt good. Her body did not work right. And I don't know if that was from complications from me dying while she was being born or something else, but she had a very difficult life. She was sexually abused by her own biological father since she was three years old, and she was forced by family court to go visit him for 10 years against her will. I fought for her in court. I protected her. I tried to protect her with my whole life, I tried to protect her. I worried about her every single day. Tylee had to get her GED because she couldn't go to school every day because she never felt good. She felt sick. Nobody knows this because Tylee, like myself, tries to put on a good front, tries to be a happy person, tries to have hope in life, tries to know that she's here for a purpose and that she has an eternal purpose to be on this earth but I never stopped worrying about her. One of the times that Tylee came to me as a spirit after she died, she said, she commanded me, and she said to me, stop worrying, Mom. We are fine. She knows how I worry and how I miss her. 
And I know you loved me every minute of my life. JJ, Joshua Jackson, was an adult spirit. And he was very, very tall when he put his arm around me. He is busy. He is engaged. He has jobs that he does there. And he is happy where he is. His life was short, but JJ's life was meaningful. JJ was a wonderful person and touched the lives of everyone. And I adored him every minute of his life. My eternal friend, Tammy Daybell, has visited me on several occasions. She came to bring me peace and comfort, and I know that she is extremely busy helping her family, especially her children and grandchildren, and I have a great love for Tammy. My beautiful children, Tylee Ashland and Joshua Jackson, Rest safely this day in the arms of Jesus. My wonderful friend, Tammy Daybell, rest safely this day in the arms of Jesus. And I look forward to the day when we are all reunited and I too will rest with them in the arms of my Jesus. All right, Ms. Fellow, thank you for your comments to the court. Let me ask you at this time, Ms. Vallow, are you fully satisfied with the representation you've received from your attorneys throughout this case? Yes. Thank you. Okay, two things about that audio. She refers to Tammy Daybell as her friend three separate times. She was the mistress, having an affair with Chad, buying wedding rings days before Tammy was murdered, but she believes her and Tammy are friends? Okay, the second thing. Family members told reporters following the sentencing that they had never heard of this near-death experience with Lori, ever. And it's important to note that Chad made his living off of writing books, many of those books referencing near-death experiences, and yet Lori had never shared her story publicly? Okay, wait, I lied. (laughs) There's a third thing. If she didn't commit a sin by helping to kill these three innocent people, Why is she worried that people are casting the first stone at her, the sinner? So of all the scriptures she could quote, this seems odd when she is not taking any responsibility for the deaths or recognizing that she potentially sinned. So why reference that scripture? Okay, wait, wait, there's a fourth thing. What's with the vague references to people dying from suicide or accidental medical issues? If you think that J.J., Tylee, or Tammy died from these things, then just say it, Lori. What do you have to lose? And if you think that, how do you explain the burning and the dismembering of Tylee's body? Was that necessary if she died by suicide or medical overdose? All right, I'm going to really move on for real because I could just keep dissecting that whole entire statement by Lori. But those are just a few things that really bothered me in it. All right. Judge Boyce, who, by the way, I feel did a fantastic job in this high-profile case. He had some harsh words for Lori. And here, let's just take a listen to that. Murder is the most serious offense. And the most unimaginable type of murder is to have a mother murdering her own children. And that's exactly what you did. You were involved in and guilty of conspiring to murder 
another group of children's mother, Tammy Daybell, who had children of her own. And despite the jury convicting you with overwhelming evidence, you still sit here before the court today and said you didn't do it. You came here to East Idaho, where I've spent my life, and moved here from another place already with plans in progress to make your children disappear. The evidence bore that out at trial. You removed your children from their home in Arizona, alienated them from friends and family, got rid of JJ's service dog. You moved to Rexburg, a community where you could find a thousand random families to take your children and you brought them here to murder them. You had so many other options. You could have gotten divorced. You could have found someone to take care of those kids. But as the state was able to prove at trial, you chose the most evil and destructive path possible. You killed those children, according to the state's theory, and I believe it, to remove them as obstacles and to profit financially. You justified all of this by going down a bizarre religious rabbit hole, and clearly you are still down there. While you were enjoying your new life in Hawaii, countless law enforcement officers, family members, and volunteers were searching for your children. And I don't think to this day you have any remorse for the effort and heartache you caused for others who looked for your children when you knew where they were and knew they were dead. They were found dead, burned, mutilated, and dismembered, and buried like animals. After you knew they were dead, you collected public-funded assistance payments meant for them, and that was blood money you kept for yourself. All right, that part where he defends East Idaho and says Lori purposely moved to Rexburg to murder J.J. and Tylee, well, that wasn't the only time this was mentioned. State Prosecutor Rob Wood also said Lori in some ways infiltrated Rexburg. And both Rob Wood and Judge Boyce, they kind of go all Jason Aldean, like in his controversial Try That in a Small Town song. They basically told Lori, nope, not here. We don't stand for this kind of behavior in Rexburg, Idaho. Now, most importantly, there was a lot that went on in the sentencing hearing that focused on the three victims in this case. And let's just start with that. Kay Woodcock, JJ's grandma, well, she spent quite a significant amount of time during her victim statement remembering J.J., his rough beginnings, his ability to make everyone smile, his behaviors where he could remember significant details to stories or events. Her victim impact statement was 18 pages long. So she definitely took the opportunity to say her piece, but also to celebrate those who had died. And then there was Tammy's sister, Samantha William, who remembered her beautiful librarian sister, who she said influenced many students and was making a difference in the world. She also told Lori from this day forward, she would choose to never think of her again. Now, Lori's only remaining living child, Colby Ryan, 
He did give a victim statement, but he had that statement read by Prosecutor Rob Wood. He was not in the courtroom on Monday. And this is where Tylee was remembered. And I'll be honest, I was actually kind of worried she wouldn't be adequately represented. But Colby did a beautiful job, and he begged people to not remember his siblings as a spectacle, but to remember them for the way that they spread love and light in this world. Now, Lori was transferred to the Pocatello Women's Correctional Facility in Idaho, and she will remain there until her trial in Arizona. Because remember, she's on trial in Arizona for conspiracy to commit murder for her fourth husband, Charles Vallow. Now, the death penalty was removed in the case against Lori, but her husband, Chad Daybell, is facing capital punishment charges for the murders of JJ, Tylee, and Tammy. Now, none of Tammy and Chad's children were present at the trial or at the sentencing hearing, and they also didn't assume the right to give victim statements, so we haven't heard from them. Now, it has been reported that Chad's daughter and her family still reside in the Daybell home where the bodies of JJ and Tylee were buried. And I do believe if justice could be achieved for these three victims, this was a big step in that process. All right, let's move on to this love triangle and murder for hire scheme that involves the quintessential American couple that just seem to be living out their dreams. But as we always find out, when the cheating starts, the dreams turn into nightmares. 36-year-old Lindsay Shiver and her husband, 38-year-old Robert Shiver, met while both were attending Auburn University. Lindsay was the blonde beauty queen who was crowned Miss Houston County in 2005, and she finished as the second runner-up in the National Peanut Festival pageant that same year. I know, there's a National Peanut Festival. You learn something new with every podcast. Now, the two married in 2007 after meeting in a fitness class. Okay, after sealing the deal, Lindsay continued her education and Robert played football at Auburn. He was basically living the dream. He then went on to play professional football for the Atlanta Falcons in 2009. After that brief stint with the NFL, Robert moved on to a career in business, eventually becoming an incredibly successful executive vice president of the senior life insurance company. All right, is bio on the company's webpage says Robert was a walk-on at Auburn, but that his grit and determination led him to ultimately earn a three-year scholarship playing for the Tigers. Then it goes on to say that same grit has carried through in his position at Senior Life. All right, well, what about Lindsay? She seemed to embrace the wife and mother life, eventually having three kids. Her Instagram bio says that she is the mom to the Shiver Trio and that she is never basic, but always extra. In 2020, Lindsay wrote in a social media post celebrating the couple's wedding anniversary that the key to a perfect marriage is having two imperfect people who refuse to give up on each other. And the pics posted on her Insta account paint the picture of a blissful family living in the Bahamas in a sprawling mansion and also vacationing in the Caribbean islands where they posed for photos on yachts and also at the exclusive Baker's Bay Golf and Ocean Club. And Lindsay's most recent Instagram post was from Easter of this year when she posted a picture of her husband and their three kids and she simply wrote, he is risen. I want you to remember, Easter this year was on April 9th. And as we're about to find out, all was not as picture perfect as social media would portray. 
Robert went on and filed for divorce from Lindsay in mid-April after finding out about an affair between Lindsay and 28-year-old Terrence Adrian Bethel. Okay, not to be outdone by the claims of an affair, Lindsay responded in court documents the very next day after the filing that she had been experiencing physical and mental cruel treatment that included domestic violence. Now, as the two fought back and forth for the next few months, they continued to live in their 8,000-square-foot Bahamas mansion. Robert was seeking primary physical custody of the three children, as well as sole use of the home. And court documents also argued that Robert shouldn't have to pay alimony to Lindsay since she had a marketing degree from Auburn and she could support herself. Well, Lindsay's lawyer said that any affair she might be having was condoned by Robert, and it also occurred after they were separated. Her lawyers also noted in the legal filing of a restraining order that Lindsay felt unsafe in the marital home and that she had actually installed locks on the interior doors of the home for protection. Now, the filing alleges that Robert had abused Lindsay in the home in the presence of the children on multiple occasions, not only physically, but mentally and emotionally as well. Now, one of the possessions that caused so much arguing between the two was a vacation home in the Bahamas located on the water, and it was used occasionally by the couple. Now, that home might have been more of a playground for Lindsay than for Robert because Lindsay was allegedly meeting her boyfriend Terrence there in order to enjoy each other's company. And the whole relationship between Terrence and Lindsay, well, that hit a new level when on July 16th, the two, along with an alleged hitman named Farron Newbold, were arrested on the island of Abaca after meeting there to allegedly kill Robert. Now, police were tipped off to the alleged murder plot when they were examining a phone that had been recovered from a burglary suspect. All right, this gets confusing. See someone, some person, and we don't know who. It could have been Farron or it could have been Terrence or quite possibly, I mean, we don't know, even Lindsay. But some person had been trying to steal from the Grabber's Bar and Grill in Great Guanacay. Now that person was arrested. And at that arrest, a phone was confiscated. So law enforcement in the Bahamas, they were searching the phone for evidence, and they came across messages in WhatsApp. Those messages laid out the entire plan to murder Robert, including that the plot was to take place on the 16th in Abaca. Now, obviously, the three went ahead and traveled to Abaca. That's where they were arrested. And they were being held in a jail in Nassau for conspiracy to commit murder, But in a plot twist that occurred just yesterday, Robert agreed to allow his soon-to-be ex-wife and the two accomplices to bail out of jail in the Bahamas. Now, upon Lindsay's release, she did agree to wear an ankle bracelet and to also remain in the Bahamas until her next scheduled court date, which is on October 5th. And all three suspects surrendered their travel documents, and all three are also banned from contacting Robert. So where's Robert? Well, he returned to Thomasville, Georgia with his three children. He told the New York Post that he hasn't had the heart to tell his three kids because they're all under the age of 12 and he just doesn't know how to break it to him that their mother was in jail. Now he's hoping to explain the circumstances gently over the next few days. Okay, I'm going to be watching this case as I'm sure more details about the murder for hire scheme are going to come forward. Well, that's your Monday edition of Rise and Crime. 
Make sure you check in with me on YouTube, Instagram, and TikTok. I love to hear from you guys. And I'm also really grateful for you sharing this community with people. I love for it to grow, and I love when it comes from people who enjoy the podcast. Join me again on Monday for more morning crime news. I'm Mama Jules, and keep safe out there.